You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome again to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. Today, we're going to talk a little education. My guest today is none other than Angelique Peterson Mayberry of the Detroit School Board. Welcome, Angelique. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Darren. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. We would, you know, we wouldn't have another show without someone like yourself weighing in on on an important issues on on these important issues. Um, before we sort of get started, introduce yourself and and while you're at it, sort of uh, discuss some of the things that the board has passed recently, such as the uh, student code of conduct. Okay. Great. So, hello to all the listeners. My name is Angelique Peterson Mayberry. I am a product of Detroit Public Schools. Graduated from Martin Luther King High School. Um, currently have a fourth grader. So, pray for me. Yep, she's graduating this upcoming school year. And uh, my son graduated a couple years ago from public schools as well. So, pretty deep in my family. And um, I have always been an advocate in the community and in the schools for wanting um, things just to be a little bit more equitable and to have more of a voice for the young people. So um, I actually ran for school board back in 2016. We were elected in 2017, and we've been trying to work really hard to do some things in the district thus far. And I think um, people will have to admit that they there's been some changes. I mean, there's a lot that needs to be done, but I think we are at least headed in the right direction. I will speak very quickly about the student code of conduct you mentioned. So uh, last year, we actually got, and we did something a little different than what's been done in the past, we got a task force together. And the task force consisted of not only uh, people from education, but it also consisted of people um, from clergy and community advocates and law enforcement. And they came to the table and they decided on a couple of things that were um, really relevant for our young people in the city of Detroit as it relates to code of conduct. And so after a year of implementation, we went back to the table to try and see, you know, if, if what was implemented, if it worked, if we needed to keep some things, change some things, um, do some things totally different. And some of those things that we've revised from last year are, um, like, number one, we know the code of conduct is basically just a very fluid document governing how we conduct business in our district. So it highlights kind of do's and don'ts and offers language around things that are tolerable or not within our district as we basically just attempt to educate our students with a sense of, you know, order and conduct and normalcy for, for an environment for educational growth. So some of the things that we've revived this recent, um, actually maybe two board meetings or it was last board meeting, we actually revised some things like um, stronger language around bullying. Right, And so we know that this isn't just a Detroit Public Schools community district issue, but there are even laws on this table around bullying because it is something that is manifesting itself in, in too many places, like not even just education, but the workforce. And, you know, we see it all the time, even in our government. So 
we needed to go back to the table and put some stronger language around bullying. So we did that. Uh, we created a point system for behavior. And so now there's kind of like points that are assigned to violations of behavior for students who continuously disrupt the learning environment. And now those points can be accumulated. And once you reach 16 points, and you can get a recommendation to attend our alternative school, which is in our district called Legacy, the old Catherine Ferguson School. So in a point system, you have a level one, which is kind of minor, level two, which is a little bit more moderate, level three, uh, which is major, and then you have level four, which is severe. So we implemented that, and not only because we believe in redemption, so not only can a, a student accumulate points for the negative, but they can also behave in a way where points can be taken off, you know, and reduced and eliminated. So we wanted to have that in as well. So we've done that. And then I think um, something that I didn't think would be as controversial, but we implemented across the district the ability for young people to wear shorts to school. And so the length of the shorts um, are considered for needle walking shorts. But, you know, in some of our schools, as we change seasons, they get extremely warm, and I think it's only fair that we allow our young people to be tasteful in their uniform, whether it's shorts, shorts, skirt, or pants, but come and be comfortable in the learning environment. So anything that we could do to help enhance that, we did. So those were a couple of the major things that we've done with the revision of the student code of conduct to go forward into this world. Oh, those things sound great. Those things sound really, really great. Um. Talk to me a little bit about uh, the community we'll see in the schools this year. Um, you, you guys are opening up the Montessori School in the old Edmondson building. And then today I saw uh-huh. um, that there uh, you all are going to revise um, the Davis Aerospace School as well. So talk, talk to me a little bit about some of the changes that uh, people will see within the district. Yeah, we're really excited about some of the innovative changes. You know, um, when you speak about Davis Aerospace, you know that that's a program that should never have moved in the first place. But the ninth graders in the fall will be able to um, go back to the airport and take their aviation classes here. I think it's important to uplift the fact that that is a free public school where those young people know how to fly planes when they graduate from high school. And I think so many times, we do not tell a narrative about that program enough because people, when I talk to people about it, they think that that's a private school, you know, or they think that there's some sort of fee associated with getting that type of education. So we've got to do a better job of telling people about that program. We've had a task force in place here, an advisory council, if you will, that has they've been meeting aggressively since the, the uh, school moved, and they were pretty committed with trying to get the school back to um, classes back to uh, the airport. And so we're really excited with all of those who came to the table. You have people from the district, people from the city, you have people from the Tuskegee Airmen Institute. So we're really excited about Davis. We also have, as you mentioned, the Montessori program at Edmondson. So there are currently four Montessori programs in the district, and people, I, I don't really think people know about those as well, but we have one at Palmer Park, we have one at Mayberry, there's one at Addison. And then the one that was previously at Spain is the one that moved over to the Edmondson building. So less than a mile away, um, it's a pre-K through four program, which most of the Montessori programs are either to third grade or fourth grade. 
uh, we have the school and Mary Grove that we're excited about because this is a partnership with the University of Michigan and Mary Grove College, and that's opening in the fall. Ninth graders were tested, and we have over 100 ninth graders who are going to go into that building. We're going to grow and expand that program every year to add another grade, but we're excited about the ninth graders that will be going into that building this year. Um, something else, dual enrollment at all of our high schools. We're excited about that because, you know, dual enrollment existed in some of our high schools. So it wasn't at scale, kind of had it in practice at some of these more aggressive high schools academically. So now, going into the fall, we're really excited about dual enrollment at all of our high schools. Uh, we're launching career academies in our high schools as well. And that's uh, basically where a school will have an identity in one of the following fields. And it would basically either be technology-based, you know, business and entrepreneurship-based, maybe it's focused on health or law or engineering and manufacturing, construction or service. So those schools now will have partnerships and programs and experiences with those industry makers, those in our city who... Um, reside in those different spaces so that our young people can get a taste of what it looks like in that industry to decide if that's something that they want to do. Um, in the fall, we'll also have a new high school curriculum. We're really excited about that. And it'll be a curriculum that's not only aligned, but it will be college and career ready. And so we adopted a new curriculum last year, adopting a new high school curriculum this year. So we're excited about that. Um, programs expanding in STEM and coding and STEAM and mentorship. We're excited about those and just the ability to have, you know, art and STEM and music and being the culture back in every school. And for our K-5 students, we're really excited about the fact that we added 150 minutes of physical activity back into their, in their, their school week. So, it may not seem all that important if you're not in that K-5 space. However, if you are an educator in that K-5 space, you know that these young people need to come out of the classroom for a minute. Amen <laughs> to that. And run around with all that energy. <laughs> Amen to that. Yes, yes. But, so those are some of the really high-level things. You know, there's a couple of beautification programs going on over the summer where students, staff, and communities they're coming out and they're planting flowers and painting and, you know, doing some things like that. And I think it, it just speaks to the volume of engagement that people have in the district. You know, um, I will definitely watch the rumor all the time about people not caring about education or public education or, you know, if you don't have a kid in the school, then they're never at the school and nothing could be further from the truth. So we're really excited about going into the fall of 2019 with all these new and exciting things that, that will await those who enter our, our district in the fall. Right. And and among those, uh, in addition to those, uh, you all just signed a new contract with the DFT. And so, um, it, at least from my view, that will help to retain uh, some teachers that are in the district um, because that has been uh, an issue that the district has been struggling with because of pay issues and all of that kind of stuff and pay disparity between between districts. And so talk to me a little bit about um, the DFT uh, deal that was signed and how how important it is uh, um, for the district moving forward. Well, I think, you know, um, what we recognize is that we could never pay our teachers their worth. I mean, and I, I think, I say that all the time because 
no matter what profession you go into, you come before a teacher at some point in your life, right? And if you think back to when you were in school, whether it be elementary, middle, or high school, there has been a teacher who has had this major impact on you, and it may have been beyond the classroom or beyond the academic lesson. It may have been a, a soft skill lesson, a life lesson. And I think that, you know, across the nation, we've got to get to a point where we are once again restoring the pride, the dignity, the reverence, and the pay for those who are going into the teaching profession. Because it is something that I think no matter where you're located, that is a profession that we've got to make sure that we support. So really excited about um, the and what we really just went into was the third year of the wage reopener. So really excited about what we've been able to do. Um, I think we still have too many vacancies. I know we're down from when the board first came in and the superintendent first came in under this leadership. There were almost 300 vacancies, 275 to be exact. Today, there's a little over 100, but to me, that's still too many. So vacancies, um, just so that I'm clear, with everyone, it does not mean that there is no one in the classroom. What it means is that there is not a certified teacher in the classroom. And the board adopted a policy when we first took oath that we want certified teachers in front of our students, just as every other district has. We, we don't, we're not asking for things that are unique. We're asking for things that are deserved. So we're excited about what we've been able to do with our teachers. And, you know, we've increased the teacher pay since the board took office and the superintendent came on board, uh, we've improved compensation on average of a little over 5000 to the base salary um, and established some things like master teachers and professional development. But I think at the end of the day, we've got to make our teachers whole with their pay. So the wage opener was able to add compensation and add bonuses and even steps to some of our teachers. However, I think there's still a lot of work to be done. So we're celebrating even the small successes, but there's a lot of work to be done because we know how impactful our teachers are in the lives of our young people. Okay. Um, over the years, the board has had uh, a rocky relationship with whomever has been uh, the superintendent or leading the schools. And... And so I want to ask you a little bit about um, the relationship with this board and Dr. Vitti. Um, how is it and um, why, how, or why is it important to sort of have a strong relationship um, with uh, Dr. Vitti um, and so that uh, whatever his vision is can be implemented um, fully? So, really good question. Um, when we, uh, myself and two others, when we were on the subcommittee for a superintendent and we were um, trying to get the best candidate for our district at this time and to do the transformative work and, you know, wasn't afraid to make really tough decisions. They may not be popular, but as long as they were student-centered, um, that was something that we were looking for. So, as the search went on, we went to several districts and did a lot of research on uh, board relationships and what that looks like and when there's a good relationship, the growth that you see, and if that relationship is not a good working relationship, then we see how things are stagnated. So I'm really proud to say that I think that the principal and the board currently have a great relationship. Not only is it a good relationship, but it's very respectful, and I think that that is needed in order to 
you know, promote forward progression and to eliminate stagnation. You know, I think that, you know, if there are personal agendas or a clear motive to this work, then I think at some point it will rear its ugly head. So do we always agree on everything, every board member and the superintendent? Absolutely not. But I think we owe it to the students and the parents and those in our district to kind of just work together and figure this thing out so that decisions, they are student-driven, and they don't have some of the other underlying things that could infiltrate itself into the decision-making process. And, you know, I think we've seen all too often, as you mentioned, when that relationship is, is um, you know, I know we've been fragmented, and I know we've been hurt and abused as citizens, as parents, as residents of the city in the space of education. And I just want to make sure that we don't revisit that time because there were a lot of things that were detrimentally done and to our city in terms of our schools during that time. And I'm hoping that we don't revisit that time so that we can make sure that our students, when they leave our district, they are prepared, no matter if they're going to college, to the armed forces, to the workforce, wherever they go, they are prepared because they've had people who have come together, put aside their differences to work for the common good, which is making the ground more fertile for them to grow. Okay. And and while we're talking about Dr. Vitti, sort of assess um, what he's done so far and tell us a little bit about him because most people just sort of see um, or hear, you know, the little snippet about him on uh, Channel 2 or Channel 4 and that sort of thing. So tell us a little bit about Dr. Vitti, what kind of leader he is and um, and and also assess uh, how he's doing so far as in, in your estimation as, as the superintendent. Well, I will say this. When the first committee went to um, Florida and we went to look at the work that he had done, and um, ironically enough, we were only supposed to be there a day, but because of the weather, we could not get a flight out the next day, so we actually spent two days there. And I really, you know, it, I guess it kind of left me in a space of um, where I really felt like we're getting a comprehensive look at the work because there's a lot that you can see and do research about, you know, whether it's online and on books or making phone calls to people, but you need to be on the ground to see the work, and that was the purpose. And as we were there and we talked to all these individuals who sat with us, you know, to hear some of the people say, we really don't want him to leave. He has done fabulous and miraculous things in this district since he's come, and we really are selfish in not wanting him to leave. And so it dug a little deeper to find out, you see how, how passionate this individual is. He has four children of his own who are in the educational system as well. So he's known and he's seen firsthand some of the challenges, and also been able to to address some of these challenges. You know, so he went from a classroom teacher, you know, he was a principal, he was a instructional leader, you know, superintendent. All so going through the ranks, I think he understands every level of um, bureaucracy that sometimes exists and gets in the way of education. And I think that what he's been able to successfully do is not allow that uh, growth when he is a leader. Um, so I think he's unapologetic for his passion for what he does. 
I think, you know, we there were a lot of conversations about um, him not being African American and I and I'll just be very honest. And I was really I was really hurt at the fact that, you know, we put that type of criteria on the type of person that our children deserve in our district for educational reform and excellence and growth. And so, you know, that that's something that he can't, but he is a minority. I mean, he his, his mother was an immigrant and he talks all the time about, you know, she didn't even have a high school education. And he talks about his dyslexia and, you know, how he had to push further and go harder in school because he didn't learn like everybody else. And so when you hear him be very, very honest and transparent about some of the challenges, I know that he knows firsthand about some of these challenges. As we know, Detroit has a huge uh, ESC student rate, you know, um, receiving free and reduced lunch. And, and when you think about some of the challenges that some of our students have, having a leader who understands those challenges, who personally went through some of those challenges, um, it, it makes the work a little bit easier in knowing that the decisions that are recommended to the board are thorough and they are thought-provoking and they are not selfish. So. You know, him as a leader, we talk about this five-year journey and how we are in year three. So year one, you basically build trust. You know, you're analyzing systems and, you know, where do you begin with this improvement? And you really just start building trust because we have been, um, I think we have lost a lot of trust in the public school system and some of the leaders and things of that nature. So year one, we were strictly trying to focus on kind of where are we, what do we have in place, um, is it working? Is it not? But we have to build the trust back from the community. Year two, we're talking about values, you know, meaningful and improving core functions. So some of these things work or not. Year three, the proof. And that's where we are now. So we're able to start seeing student achievement and, you know, school culture changing and trying to see some of the returns on some things that we put into place last year. Um, you're really going to go into scaling things to make sure that things are implemented and successful across the district, not in pockets. And then finally, sometimes we talk about refinement. So, you know, you analyze what you've done, are they sustainable over time? And if you need to make some tweaks, then let's go ahead and do that. So, you know, when that was rolled out with the board and we worked together at this board retreat and put this together with our strategic plan, I think everybody walked away with a very clear vision and mission on what we wanted to do, what we needed to do in the time frame that it was going to take for us to do that. And we are on track. That sounds that sounds wonderful. That sounds great. And so let's get to an issue that sort of has been very long standing and it certainly predates you, but uh increasing student enrollment. I mean, in student enrollment has uh declined um significant significantly, although uh, I believe you all had, uh, meaning the district had an uptick uh, last year. In, in yeah, like 4,800 students. Yeah, mm-hmm. in student enrollment. And so um, talk to me about, because again, we're going into uh, the push for students. You're going to hear um, districts from all over the Metro Detroit area talking about come to my school district, whether it's uh, whether it's eCourse, whether it's Inkster, on all of these things, you're going to hear, I, I, I'm presuming you're going to hear, you know, uh, something along the, the lines of come back to DPS. That was one of the slogans before. Um, mm-hmm. And so talk to me a little bit about what, uh, about student uh, 
um, enrollment and just sort of what uh, plans, if you know of them as of right now, um, you all will be doing or implementing in the next couple of weeks to increase uh, student enrollment? So I think, you know, if we continue to move in the direction in which we're going, we will continue to see enrollment increase because as I spoke to before, building that trust back and, you know, parents being able to see some of the changes both physically and academically with their students, some of the programs that are being offered. But I think we have been very restrictive. And, you know, I think people understand from other districts that we are moving in a different direction, and that is why they are coming into our cities and, you know, aggressively trying to recruit our young people. So we definitely have to continue our brand and continue to brand the district and build and strengthen partnerships that ultimately increase opportunities for our students. But I think as we continue to work in this space and people fight not only for our students, but they are also fighting for our amazing teachers. You know, they are hand-picking and plucking from different schools because one thing about Detroit education system, if you are an educator in Detroit, people know that you can teach anywhere, you know, through all types of um, adversity and you have resilience, you have grit, you have all of these things that make you a really successful teacher in other spaces because you've been able to do it and do it well in Detroit. So as we continue to raise the achievement and transform the culture and, you know, put some resources around developing the whole child and wraparound services, continue to be um, fiscally responsible with our budget and continue to engage the community and let them come in and see what's going on. We know a lot of times um, media sometimes will grab some things that aren't necessarily advantageous for us as a district. However, there are some fabulous things going on in BTSCD, and sometimes you need to go into the schools and see. You know, we gave out $189 million in terms of scholarships our students that last year, our graduating class of 2019. Okay, we had a little technical difficulty, and we were discussing um, we were discussing uh, enrollment in the district. And so uh, we want you to continue to uh, discuss what you were saying about uh, student enrollment. So I'm not sure where it dropped off, but I just I guess I will uh, put in a nutshell is that, you know, at this point in time, people are beginning to see that this is a new BS, a new, I'm sorry, a new DPSCD. And no matter if you are a product of DPS or have children who are product of DPS, there are some things that are still there that you desire in public education. And those are the things we want to grow on. There are other things that, just because of the time, have to change in terms of how we educate our students. We can't educate them the same way as we did when I you know, was in high school 25 years ago because the economy and society demands a different type of, of space for education. What does that look like? Sometimes it's a physical space. Sometimes it's just the way that lessons are being administered. Um, as I said, I have a, a senior, and, you know, I didn't do homework online on a computer. That's not what I did. And now that's something. So when you talk about a one-to-one ratio with technology and students and teachers and teachers having the materials and the resources that they need to teach the students of today, then those are some of the things that we are very proud about as we move in this new space. So I think, you know, the extra 4,800 students that we received this last year alone, um, I we are on path to not only retain all the students pretty much that we have, but to grow 
And I think other districts realize that we are doing things a little bit different in Detroit, and that is why people are aggressively trying to recruit not only our students, but our, our magnificent teachers. Okay. And I know we're running a little short on time, but uh, give me your final thoughts on what we've talked about. Um, and clearly, there's a lot of other issues that we can get into, um, and maybe we'll have you back on and we can get into them. Um, clearly, um, we want to talk about student achievement and how that relates to the social ills that are going on in our community. Um, I certainly would love to hear about uh, the plans for the board um, for the next six months and, and or so or, uh, you know, uh, the new school year, that sort of thing. Um, but give me your final thoughts on uh, what you have shared a little bit about the district today and um, and anything else that you wanted to say. So thank you for the opportunity. First, let me say that, Mr. Nichols, I know you are a pillar in the community and you are very thoughtful about your information. You are very intentional about your topics. And so I feel honored to be uh, in your presence in this space. To, uh, you know, just allowing me the opportunity to tell our story a little bit in this short period of time. I would love to come back and we can get deeper into a couple of things that you mentioned, please. Whenever that can happen, I would be honored to do that. And I think basically, I'll just sum up by just saying, you know, I think that people have got to um, support public education across the board. You know, as we watched the debate last night and the last two nights, you know, I was glued um, in present and in, in, in yeah, I was present and actually at watching the television, and I just didn't hear enough talk about public education from me in this space. And I think that, you know, that is the most democratic way that we learn in public education. It's not biased to take all children. There's open enrollment all the time, whether there's schools in your neighborhood or not. And where you live, your zip code should not be able to determine the type of education that you receive. However, we see that people don't subscribe to that thought or that notion, and so they aren't beating down doors so that we can get increased funding in our system. In our district particularly, I want to just say this, just as people don't understand how their current tax dollars don't go towards DPSCD operations, it goes towards paying down the legacy debt of DPS. So when you talk about facilities, which is one of our largest challenges, and how we do not receive funding, even the per-pupil funding that we receive per student, that cannot be used for building facilities. So, you know, some of the challenges that we've been able to overcome, others appear very difficult for us to fight this fight alone, and we can't do it alone. So we need, whether you have a child in the district or not, there are over 50,000 children who need your voice. They need your presence. We have a board meeting coming up. Um, we would love to go to our website, dpscd.org. Please, get the information. You can call the district office, 313-873-4104. You can get information for those who are not technologically savvy and they choose not to get information by, by the computer. We can get that information to you, hard copy, but come out. Your voice, we need you. We need you. We need you. Thank you, Mr. Nichols. Well, thank you, Angelique. I really appreciate you taking out time of your busy day um, to appear on Beyond the Headlines. And uh, we definitely will get you back. And hopefully I can uh, pull a few strings and hopefully I can get Dr. Vidi on as well. 
Um, that, Absolutely. that would be somebody Absolutely. that I would love to to be able to have on on uh, the podcast to be able to hear from his voice what he wants out of the district. And so well, you give that charge to me and I'll try to make that happen. That, that sounds great to me. And so this will conclude our episode of Beyond the Headlines for this week. And we look forward to uh, next week's show. Thank you so much. You all have a wonderful day and thanks for the opportunity again. You do the same. As we leave beyond the headlines, I want to give our listeners an inspirational quote for you guys to ponder each week as you get ready for the new show. It's from Dr. Martin Luther King. It reads, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines.